Welcome everybody to Carpe Diem. Uh, this is the podcast where we learn how to run role-playing games. Uh, today we are going to be talking about NPCs Part 2. We'll be talking about NPC party members. We'll be talking about our monster of the week, the Baylor. Uh, and we have uh, our special guest, Josh Archer, here uh, in the studio with uh, myself, Alexei Othan and Gerard. I'm Meredith SK. And I am Chris Hawkabout. Welcome to Carpe Diem. Episode five. Episode five. <laughs> now it's a thing. Yeah, it's a thing now. That's a week's. Someone could listen once, once a, a day. day on their way to work. That's a hot nickel. Yeah, it's at Binsky right there. <laughs> hey, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> I'm good. Great. I did uh, some homework over the week. Nicely done. Five NPCs. Five Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Alexei also sort of corrected me. Not corrected me, but um, pointed out to me that I was getting all sort of involved last time we talked about make five NPCs and mm. I was like oh yeah no, all NPCs that are going to be part of the story and Alexa goes no no they can just be people that they run into and then they go away and I'll, oh okay so I, yeah I it definitely uh when you're creating NPCs you you want to strike that nice balance between oh these these characters are going to be mission critical and they're going to be really integral to the plot but also make color right the more people you fill your world with i think the the better oh you know what else we have this week what's that the baylor that's right we have the baylor this week Ooh. you guys got so excited oh i do <laughs> baylor is a cool baylor is a cool monster it is the ultimate nightmare it's a fiend yeah it's a it's our it's our first like serious interplanner monster interplanner? yeah that's right yeah okay. what does that mean uh it, so the baylor is a devil or a demon? demon i can't keep them i can't keep them straight anymore demon i liked it better when they were called bait zoo and tanari no well, that was just to appease the religious wait, world. When, what was this oh okay okay let's get into some DD history yeah wait, wait wait should we wait for monster of the week uh or should we do DD history that would be a great segment um sure. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, D&D &D history. Let's, oh, do it. Let's hear it. Yeah, no, that was... <laughs> uh, so as a, you know, I grew up in the 80s and, and uh, uh, got to experience firsthand the satanic panic. Right. I lost a close friend to it in the sense that his mother suddenly got the memo that I was corrupting her child's eternal soul. And so I was persona non grata and cast out of the house. Um, so you lost a soul for Satan I, is what yes, you're telling so us. So I was unable to secure that soul for oh, my God, master. Chris. Did you read the trick track? Uh, uh, yes. Yeah. Lived it. Loved it. Read it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, it was just, it's just uh, uh, that, that it was an appeasement right. to them. So in Dungeons and Dragons, there are, we talked a little bit about the planes, right? This idea that like there are other worlds that heroes can travel to. And some of them are based around alignments, which means that there are good planes where like good gods hang out. And then there are actually neutral planes where neutral gods hang out. Mm -hmm. And then there are evil planes where, you know, evil monsters and gods hang out. And because Dungeons and Dragons divides things into lawful and chaotic, there's sort of two big races of evil extraplanar entities. Um, demons, what are now called demons and devils. But what used to be called Beitzu and Tanari, which were names that they used, that they had to use to get it away from, oh, this is a demon versus this is a devil, which people were freaked out about because of this satanic oh, okay. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. D&D, uh, um, D, &D. Oh. backstory. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 
So last time we talked about sort of making NPCs in general, um, and we talked about kind of different roles that they could play, you know, uh, party patron, quest giver, villain. Um, but there's one thing that we haven't really covered, which is this idea of NPC party members, hmm. right? What if you have like uh, a character adventuring with the party who's an NPC? For a long time, I actually really strongly... Um, kind of avoided this. I didn't like having an NPC uh -huh. uh, in the party, but honestly, as I've grown sort of older and more, um, more proficient, I've seen that it's, it's a really powerful device. Sure. Oh, it, I use it all the time. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, it's a really, as long as you don't let that NPC take center stage away from the players, right? it means that you have kind of a voice in the world of the game to give players little course corrections or even course corrections is probably the wrong word, but like to give the players information about the world that they are in that they otherwise wouldn't easily come across. So my, my first thoughts about that hearing you say it are that it seems like it might sometimes become like a, a little bit like, sure. like like oh like oh they're not going where i want them to mm -hmm, go mm -hmm. i'm gonna make the npc mm -hmm. kind of prod them in the right yeah. direction sure because uh an npc you know as married to the world in a way that the pcs are not um they're an excellent way to communicate the stakes of what what the players are doing and and uh but yeah if, if the players uh you know want to deviate from that it, it can feel a bit you know, like a fish hook, pulling yeah. them back into line. I think the trick is, again, like, don't let that NPC take center stage, right? And develop a relationship between the PCs and that NPC. Make it someone's younger brother. Make it someone's, like, you know, their, their hireling or their henchman or, you know, their so somewhere where... That that person would be able to say, hey, remember what we heard about this cave, that there's a terrible monster living in it? Because you don't want your players to have forgotten that. But then if the players are like, eh, terrible monster, sounds like a good time. We're going in that cave. It's still up to the players to do that. Right. That's what I mean by giving information about the world without upstaging the players. You're yeah. still letting the players make their own decisions. You're just allowing you're giving yourself a voice because as a GM, you have this beautiful world in your head and you only have a finite number of words that you can use to tell your players about it. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you forget stuff or you don't communicate clearly enough. Mm -hmm. So it becomes really nice to have like that extra. Right. Mm -hmm. I use it actually. I have a second device for it and it's a sort of a gauge or a temperature gauge on how my encounters from a game master's perspective, dungeon master's perspective, uh, is feeling from the character side. Like mm -hmm. if an encounter feels wrong, then I can figure out, okay, this is how I would make an adjustment or you can pull back with that character and not have them be involved. But if it gets so, super tough, mm -hmm. then they pull out. Like oh, scion, almost like kind of. Yeah, but they also offer a specific camp campaign or story context. If you make the players part of an organization or a larger group, there could be other members. Mm -hmm. It 
in some ways takes the folk a little bit of the focus off and some of the pressure off of the players mm-hmm. to be the ones who have to do everything right. and solve everything and be the heroes of the hour. And Hero every fatigue is a real thing. And but also from a darker context, they are the crumple zones. They're the ones that can take the hits and they're the ones who can kind of you like you surprise, can you need to surprise the players with an ambush and you really want to raise the stakes. Yeah. That NPC they've been coming along like Maybe that guy gets it. Yeah. Yeah, Oh, yeah. uh, I was talking to somebody on Reddit about um, this interesting thing that they, uh, they as a DM happened with an NPC of theirs. Mm -hmm. And um, let me just pull it up real quick because I I was talking to them and I was like, oh, it's so interesting. I want to have it on the show. And I wrote them asking if that would be okay. And Mm -hmm. And they said, yeah, of course. I really liked it. <clears throat> also, I want to encourage people more people to. <laughs> right, match. Um, but it was also really good. Uh, all right. So on Reddit, user Ayana uh, was saying, uh, as a DM, I did not speak for 30 minutes. In our session today, our paladin was forced by a crown of madness to attack one of the embassies he'd known since very early in the campaign. He rolled a nat 20 on both swings and pumped maximum smite and superior superiority dice into his attack. So basically he completely obliterated yeah, yeah. this uh this NPC that he had known forever via force because of this spell. Mm-hmm. And then for 30 minutes, all the players were doing like just role play on their own. Uh, and the guy just kneeling and asking to be executed for his sins because he was so distraught of his NPC being killed. And he, like, gave up his weapons that he used to kill him and, like, asking that his memory be wiped. And so uh, I, I was just thinking of this because it really made me, like, think of, like, how attached players, players can get to sure. NPCs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you just said uh, hero fatigue? Mm-hmm. So is that sort of like you're talking? Tell me about that. Hero fatigue is just this idea that in order for the world to seem big and real, especially a fantastical world, the players can't be the only people out there mm-hmm. saving towns, doing things. Because if that's the case, then like to a certain extent, they get they become responsible for everything that happens in your campaign world and then they feel like there's like this unspoken obligation so the next time someone asks them for the help it's like seriously Ugh. why are you always coming to me right. for help so to go back to chris's point about making an npc who's a part of a party who's part of a larger organization that can take some of that pressure off right if the players are like well we're you know we're part of an adventurer's guild and sometimes we can say hey we are busy we're not going to take this one like there's a town that's burning somebody else take it right that just again it, it sort of potentially depending on the game sometimes it's not appropriate but depending on the game it can make your game world feel more full and it can make your players it can give your players a little bit of room to allow their characters to have like downtime and not constantly be running after what's the next disaster that only we can avert yeah yeah so this uh where this person on reddit was talking about how like how involved this npc was with their campaign Mm mm-hmm um, do you think that's because, I mean, obviously I don't know all the details of the campaign, mm-hmm. but, uh, 
do you think that that kind of thing where the NPC is kind of their more tangible connection to the story at large? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I just really like that story because I was like, oh, wow, like, yeah. it yeah. seems like it, that NPC helped them be in character more. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, it gave it gave it gave uh, it gave that player an opportunity to really be a paladin at, in that mm-hmm. moment to, to grieve the way a paladin would yeah. grieve for committing that act. And, and the character, I mean, I can't, I don't know who the character was or, or the campaign, but I can imagine a character who's been around since early mm-hmm. early sessions played you know uh portrayed well by the by the by the dungeon master um and participating in their adventures however they were it's certainly easy to get very attached to uh to a a well-played npc who's constantly around and useful the only the way that npcs can really sour players if they're usually if they're whiny or needy you know usually any of the any of the kind of traits that that turn people off typically you know what's the name of the the boy, the perfect boy. Angus McDonald? Angus McDonald. The, wor- yeah. the world's greatest detective? I mean, a good example of how a whiny and kind of irritating character can then become much beloved. Excuse me, Angus McDonald is the world's greatest detective? <laughs> oh, uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, so again, it, a lot has to do with how you position your NPCs, how you're using them in your campaign, right? Some NPCs should be closely connected to the players. Give the players anchors, people they care about, people to kind of latch onto, to be like, these are the stakes. These characters kind of represent like the people, maybe the people who will be hurt if you don't carry out your quest, mm-hmm. right? If, if the players meet the sympathetic villagers, again, a little bit going back to what Chris was saying, I don't know if it was last episode or the episode before, but mm. this idea of giving your characters a milk run where they would meet people, meet sympathetic people who just kind of want to help them out. Mm. Suddenly players will immediately respond to those people, right? Anyone who's like, Hey, let me get you a free sandwich. Like players love that shit. Mm. <laughs> and then when that character comes under attack or comes under threat, they're like the free sandwich guy. Like we have to save our sandwiches. Yeah. Literally people will do that. You yeah. know, these are really good for location-based games too. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. if you have a small town or a village, something yeah. like right. that. So on a more uh, like logistical and building level, like what mm-hmm. are you looking at when you're creating these sort of party, uh, personable mm-hmm. NPCs? Like what's that's a that's a great question. So there's kind of um, there's a couple different options that you can go through. Uh, the, which, uh, fortunately the book gives us some nice, a nice rundown about on page 92 talk where it talks about using classes and levels and then later, uh, NPC party members. Um, basically you can either kind of treat the NPC like a monster, right? It use the stat block in the monster's manual. Um, so for example, we talked about your priest character Mm -hmm. the other day. I'm going to rename not Orthos. I've decided that I really hate that. (laughs) It just had the the sound in my mouth, you know, and it needed to come out and it was, ooh, Orthos. Isn't that one of the musketeers? Is it? It is. Oh, well, then I'm definitely not. Wait, no, that's Porthos, maybe? I think it's Orthos, Porthos, uh... And then, oh, I actually there's D'Artagnan, Portos, and, 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 and one starts with Artemis. an A, Artemis, Artemis, yes. There we go. Artemis. Okay. Um, there's a fourth, too. I wanted to, to point this out, uh, like, on an earlier podcast. We say things, and I feel like we are often wrong. 
like a lot. So it's okay. If, nobody's writing or tweeting us. <laughs> right. yet, so Not okay. yet. Uh, so yeah, if you have uh, comments or corrections, we'll, we'll we'll talk about how to get a hold of us at the end of the episode. Um, but please know that you can, and and feel free to tell us and like write specifically like, how we are wrong. Right. Good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Address to me. Yeah. Um, so for example, this priest character in the back of the monsters manual, there's actually a whole a whole section of quick monster-like statistics for NPCs. So you can use this priest uh, who has a strength of 10, a dex of 10, a con of 12, an intelligence of 13, a wisdom of 16, and a charisma of 13. Uh, a, a better than average dude. Um, someone who the players might encounter who potentially might offer a certain amount of threat. I've dipped into that section too myself for throwing together like cultist cult right. priest and their cultist members. What's, what's the section called again? It is, this is the stats for NPCs section. Okay. Uh, let me, That's conveniently yeah, used. it is appendix B non-player characters. Um, and there's a, there's a bunch of options and you know, you want a gladiator. They've got a gladiator. You need a guard. They've got a guard. So is this the sort of thing you'd look at if you were in, um, in, in game and mm -hmm. they're the characters go somewhere and you're like, Oh crap, I really need an NPC. And you could just like flip somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Come up with a name off it. Uh, I remember one time Alexei and I were playing Noblis and he was running the game and, uh, he named one of the characters off of his bike, which was sitting in the living room and nobody realized it until we pointed it out. And so now I'm just like, Oh, right. I can just look at something. Uh, although, like, the only thing I saw in the room right now is Spellbook Cards Druid. So it's <laughs> what is your name, Druid? My name is Spellbook Cards so the Druid. A tips and tricks for G game masters, dungeon masters, is mm -hmm. to do a search ahead of time and just have a list of 20 mm -hmm. names. Uh -huh. Stays in my binder yep. all the time. Yeah. And as soon as I need one, I scratch it off. Yep. I've got one, and it looks like I planned it. Oh, I see mm -hmm. why yeah. they do that on the Adventure Zone now with the yep. tweets. Yep, with the tweets. Yeah, naming characters can be tough. Um, because uh, you cannot forget that name. Meredith thinks that I named that character on the fly after my bicycle, but I actually named her, like, weeks earlier after my bicycle. Because, you know, actually... So. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I I don't know if if other dungeon masters do this, but I I actually kind of have sort of like a name repository in my brain. If I hear good names, I'll try to log it away and That's lore. What I should do yeah. Now instead of the oh, that would be a great band name. Right. That would be uh, a good dog name. That would be a good, good NPC character name. name. Yeah, absolutely. I watch I watch movie credits and and yeah. people's people's names you know in the oh, in the sound brilliant. design I'm like oh that that name is a good name oh man um, I mean I'm sure there's like online things but this is way better sure yeah just to like there's a there's a bunch of like there's a bunch of resources yeah. but then uh, the player's handbook I do believe also has like with underneath each race mm -hmm. they'll list uh, uh, some some sample common names. sample names yeah. yeah um again I mean. The, the other way you can do it is when you're coming up with sort of the history of your world, you can think about, oh, you know, what are the different cultures and how how do cultures make yeah. names? And, you know, I again, I do. I do that a yeah. lot. Um. Uh, <laughs> let me tell you about geographical name differences in my exalted game. It's very complex. Um, so. Um, so, yeah. So, you know. So if you wanted to, you could build that priest as you could just use the stats right out of the book. It's he's like a fifth level priest, but he's not as powerful as sort of a player would be if they were a fifth level cleric. Oh, really? Yeah, because he's a monster. And so he's assumed to be sort of a more like 
uh, kind of like not deflated version. Wait, is but, it, is yeah. it because he's an NPC human that he's a monster or? Again, monster is this like really wiggly word in well, Dungeons and Dragons. The, you could it's for mechanics. Yeah, it's yeah. A mecha- from a mechanical standpoint. The, the the stat block as featured for that priest features only the information you really need for it to operate typically within a combat context. Right. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really go into what is this character doing outside of combat? What can they do outside of combat? Gen- typically. It's almost eerie. It's sort of a uh, uncanny valley of NPCs. It is a way they're, they're like a, you know, it's like a, it's a two dimensional construct. In a yeah. Way. Although um, you can use those stat blocks after you've developed a character sure. and right. you can say, this is a character I'm going to role play with. And then somebody decides to attack it. You're like, Oh, I need to fill in some stats for this guy right, right, right now. Right. And you can flip back there and find yeah. somebody. Uh, Alexa, do you want to hear some of like my five NPCs that I've, I've got? Sure, yeah. So let's, so let's, so having talked about sort of this, so the other way to, to recap real fast, the other way to make an NPC is to make, uh, make it as if they were a player character, right? Like, write, do like a character sheet for that NPC, okay. yeah. you know, and this priest is maybe a fifth level cleric of whatever God you want him mm-hmm. to be a cleric of. Um, or her, we, the priest could be female as well. Um, also, you know, and making yeah. characters Binary. is fun. With a twitchy Just eye like, you know, fine clothing it would be like sort of a, uh, uh, what's her name? And I love her. Um, the actress, Tilda hey. Swinton. Like, oh, sh- <laughs> like, <laughs> heck, heck yes, Tilda Swinton, Turtle Priest. Yeah, with, I'm, the, with eyes I'm of different color it. and like into it. eye and fine clothing. Yeah, but in a way, you know, you could you could make uh, you know a bunch of characters just for the fun, just for the fun of it, you mm. know, and feature them as NPCs okay. in your game. Okay. Yeah. So now, so with that in mind, like, is this a fast NPC? Is this a more in-depth NPC? Let's talk about the five NPCs that you've you've developed. All right. So the formerly named Orthos, now uh, more unnamed Tilda Swinton priest. Right. Um, then uh, a bar help who I see as sort of a like a young teenager who mm-hmm. is been has been working in the pub on the back of the turtle mm-hmm. that nobody knows is a turtle yet right. still um, just turtle mountain still just turtle and uh but maybe has been exploring caves mm, and things well, yeah you know, like, as, as young teenagers tend to do and mm-hmm. sort of like you know in this sort of um like medieval indenture you know he came from a farm or something and he came to you know he's sold i don't know hmm. i haven't gotten that far yet but like mm-hmm. you know a, the curious exploring thing maybe helps the characters in some way find, hey guys you know like there's some caves near here uh, yeah I saw some good wine down there um so the next is a, a middleman uh, we talked wine. about how the priest is uh somehow is the one who hires for some reason the the mm-hmm. the players the players um the party players sure. what's yeah. the better way to say this? either the both party, both are acceptable the player party yeah. um Alta Turtle Island, Turtle Island, uh, Alta Turtle Mountain, something having to do with earthquakes. But there's somebody in between, right? Like they don't meet the mm-hmm. priest. They maybe don't know that the priest is the person who's like the big boss. Mm-hmm. They know that the middleman's the middleman, but right. Um, you know, I guess maybe that's usual in this world. If someone's hiring you to go on a quest, you you don't see them until it's. Um, anyways, the middleman. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Who who like knows? You know, you can tell it's not on the up and up. But you can tell like it's sort of like being a little closeted, but. Um, so, you know, he's like a used car salesman, but for adventures, so he's like a, you know, 
like um He's a fixer. Um, yeah, he's, yeah. A, he's an undocumented uh, adventure salesman. Are you sure you don't want to run Shadowrun instead? Oh, that, like, this is very yeah, Shadowrun. That's a great character, though. You well, really can have fun with that. He's an information broker. Yeah. Maybe, maybe it'll be like the Cosmere where in the Brian Sanderson's books where there's like a single character that shows up on every single planet in the Cosmere. <laughs> yeah. um, and then uh, the next one is another adventure, a, tra- a treasure seeker. Um this one I feel kind of like the most middling on, so I feel mm-hmm. like either they're going to meet him in passing, or he's just going to be an obnoxious. Like I feel like he's obnoxious already, so like he's just going to be like one of those sort of like doesn't really know much trust fund adventure seekers who's like, yeah, my parents outfitted me. He's got a big backpack. And he's like, yeah, thanks, <laughs> you know, fantasy REI. Um, and the party has to rescue him from his yeah. plight. Yeah. Yeah, or you know just. Yeah, Maybe rescue, he's got like a, a manservant with a sword caddy. Yeah. Um, and then the last two, I know that's actually six, but I really want like a go like for a, it adventuring like rock climbing couple on holiday. Neat. Who are just like the middle, like whatever the middle age is of this, and they uh-huh. have you know whatever this world's version of socks, tall socks under sandals, and they're, sure, and they're going up because we were talking about how Turtle Mountain is like the foothills, right, to, to a, some larger thing, a larger and they're mountain. going yeah. up and they're super excited to like, uh-huh. and then I think they wind up on the turtle as it's walking away, and they're mm-hmm. that you know this totally shocking thing to everyone, and they're like, oh no, our vacation, you know, like <laughs> Sheila, you know, uh-huh. but it, for some reason I find it, it's it maybe they're like a funny species, like maybe they're both uh, tiefling or dragonborn or something, uh-huh. but they're just like really like. Don't- don't describe Dragonborn as funny to their faces. Like, yeah. it's, they're very yeah. bitey and fire. Yeah, but they're like yeah. also, you know, from whatever sure. the suburbs are in this, right. they're super excited to be out, you know? And then, sure. Yeah, and as the turtle starts walking, they're just like more like, what? Our holiday? The travel agent said that this would be... So and they miss the miracle of the turtle completely. Right, right. They yeah. focus yeah. on the mountain. They're on it, or like they're on the turtle, mm-hmm. but, but they're, they're just like, what? No, we're supposed to go like up to the mountain and we're like we're like 15 miles away like mm-hmm. well, we're supposed to go up tomorrow you know like, yeah so you're, anyways, like, you're like it's the mountains are receding in the distance like yeah. we're all everybody's priorities have shifted this mountain just got up and walked we'll away see, and then the players get to be the ones who come in and say which come on look we're on a freaking turtle island yeah. it's right. like you know here's a huge mountain thing explore that mm-hmm. yeah so <laughs> i love them i mean of, of these like i feel the strongest about or the, I mean, I feel pretty strong about all of them, but the other adventurer treasure, I could be treasure mm-hmm. seeker. So I could actually kind of knock him out of the way and just do the. Well, uh, rock so here's so here's a couple things that kind of like leap to my mind as you talk about these NPCs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the world that you're describing is, feels like uh, a world where, you know, a bunch of these characters are involved in leisure right the 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 sort of young adventurer is outfitted by his parents and he's going on his gap year to you know adventure around what what maybe has up until now seemed like a really safe part of the world well we had talked about the turtle being like a known base camp for this like right. larger mountain yeah right? exactly yeah. so but i guess it's also sort of saying that in this world there are people with like disposable income that aren't like the Ex- landed gentry. Like exactly. Somewhere else. There so is, there so is a middle there's class. a middle class. Yeah. Exactly. Which again, That's I mean, interesting. These, these kinds of things for me as a GM, it's always good to keep that in mind that like, you know, trade is stable. You know, there's, there's enough, there's there's a rise of an artisan class there's probably a fairly well established like banking system those are the those are the 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 recipe those are the ingredients for like a stable middle class to right. develop 
Um, and that can tell you a little bit about the rest of your world. Yeah. Um, I love the fact that that your NPCs are kind of they're variously involved with Turtle Mountain. But uh -huh. the, the, like Chris said, like the PCs get to be the ones who are like this miracle is happening around us. And the NPCs are kind of like my vacation. Yeah, I do. Now that we're talking about that, I kind of think that the priest will be from some other country. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if if there's like a stable middle class in this country, it's sort of I feel like there's other lands that are very distant like that one it would have to be a pretty large country to like be able to be sort of like have enough resources right. to have a middle class mm -hmm, but sure. this priest is from is some foreigner from somewhere where that doesn't exist and has some amount of bitterness and like you know uh like does not think that everyone in this world has earned their of course you know not you know earned is a you know sort of Maybe, maybe um, the turtle is in a, is in a, is in an empire, and he's from a vassal state. Hmm. So now that I have these, should I like pick their, their races, or? I mean, however you want to, yeah, however you want to, sort of keep developing them. You know, you could start thinking about them in terms of in terms of their stat blocks, like, mm -hmm. you know what class are they what race are they you could start thinking of them in terms of their history where do they come from what are they doing um you know one thing i think now is a great time to kind of start sketching out like a really rough map of what yeah what does the local area look like and then a very vague kind of you know big circles showing like who are the major nations and what is their relationship? I cannot wait to obsess over maps. Like if like, I mean, I know I still need to like upload photos of like Turtle Mountain, mm -hmm. but when maps happen, I'm just going to go. I would say now. I mean, this is, this is a good, yeah, this is a good moment. I'm just like, I just love drawing maps. Um, yeah. So I kind of like, just as I was talking to you, I was like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, those rock climbing couples should totally be a normally pretty badass, you know, like, uh -huh. or whatever. So like, they're either a tiefling or dragonborn. I love both of those. Yeah. yeah. I, I, like, Maybe one is a tiefling and one is a dragonborn and they're just like, oh yeah. But one thing I like <laughs> about them <laughs> is they have Our an interest. Our against each other. Really cute. <laughs> uh, is that, you know, they have, they have a personal interest and like, and, and that's what makes them breathing individuals and right. it's like what, what i like about what you said about this bar hop who's you know it's like a hobbyist spelunker yeah. who's found like caves in the mountain and he's like yeah. oh wow this is cool and he can be a perfect kind of guy who's like comes out comes back and goes man i discovered the weirdest fucking thing in that in this cave over here and then that naturally sets the players off because they they could the npcs can be you know they can be uh their their adventure seeds they can be catalysts yeah. because being people and not adventurers they're the ones who can say hey i just saw something freaky i not right. equipped to deal with this right uh maybe you want to check it out and again um, then we get back into that like the heroes get centralized they they become the active and so when when thinking about between a stat block or actually building them out as a player character in a way building them out as a player character is making them kind of adventure ready mm -hmm. and it makes them they can be more than just a foil. They can be more than just a a, a catalyst. They can be a, a partner, maybe even only temporarily. You know, they can they can pull their own weight and 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 by adding an NPC like that who is empowered to act, um, you're growing your party size, which actually has kind of the effect of giving you the opportunity to throw larger challenges at at the party. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of seeing these as sort of 
Like, I mean, especially since they're most of them, with exception of the middleman, like once the turtle starts walking, they're all going to be on this relatively small, you know, like maybe a couple miles yeah. wide at <laughs> they, You guys, you guys are all marooned now yeah. together. Um, and the, 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 the cave, you know, the mountain climbing couple could be the ones who go, all right, well, we're going to go mountain climb on this place. And they come back a couple days later and they go, we saw something weird. The right. spelunking kids like exploring caves. He comes back. I saw something weird. Right. The priest is sort of offering sort of, you know, metaphysical explanations for things. Or as, if you make them a villain, if, if mm-hmm. you choose to, then that that's sort of like, oh, shit, we've got like a villain in our midst. You right. know, kind of thing, Which is really interesting. Being marooned on an island with, with the, the villain. With the villain. Um, yeah, I, you know, I definitely, we've talked a little bit about that first, this first adventure arc, mm-hmm. like how do the players get to Turtle Mountain? Why are they going there? You know, do they start there, leave and come back? Do they start off of Turtle Mountain and go there? And then the mountain starts to move. I think with the addition of this priest character, we really need to lock down like what is the what is the through line on the plot there mm-hmm. like the priest is hiring the characters through the middleman to do something right what is it and why okay so those are big once if you can nail down the motivations of that character one it will help you build that character because you'll be like okay he's evil and i should look in the dungeon master's guide and i should give him the death domain which is an npc specific domain for clerics, right? It's like a special domain that clerics, that NPC clerics can get. Can you talk about what a domain is? Oh, sure. Uh, so, fifth edition has a lot of character customization options. So, when you build your character, you choose a class, which is kind of what your job is, mm-hmm. and then you get to choose sort of what um, what specialization you want to go through. Or each class has kind of multiple sort of strands that you can follow. Mm-hmm. And for clerics, the thing that they choose is called their domain. It's sort of what aspect of the divine okay. energy are they channeling? Is it life? Is it knowledge? Is it, is lore. it, is it what? Lore. Lore or the storm. Mm-hmm. Um, so shout out to my it, storm cleric. <laughs> so as I'm making it sort of like, there's sort of like, maybe maybe steps as a word like I, I, I for ones that i come up with beforehand i sort of come up with their general mm-hmm. sort of like ish what's what their deal are, what's their deal mm-hmm. um and then for someone like your like your priest who's probably going to be your main villain i would say stat that character out but, but like first so it'd be like what what their deal is and then race and class i would imagine because mm-hmm. that would be and then that would define the stats yeah, yeah, you'd build them like any other player character. And then do I, would I be making sort of like a basic wireframe or do I just wait for the characters at that point as far as like mm. what they're going to do? Like, do I say, oh yeah, and then when they get there, this character is going to do this? Or should I just like... For now, if you have that, that if you, again, for a, for a major NPC, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like a villain... You want to know their goals. You want to know their motivation. You want to you want a sort of full character sheet right up for that character, mm-hmm. and then then you can start thinking about okay, how is this character going to appear in play? Mm-hmm. You know, when are the players going to interact with this character? Mm-hmm. How you know how is that going to go? Okay. Um, again, I think another thing that's that's worth thinking about right now is we need to get you some players, and they need to get some characters. Oh, uh, I think I found. One actually, um, uh-huh. my uh, my friend Steven, um, he's like I went over to his uh, 
his uh, wife Gabby's birthday party, which was amazing, by the way. They had it was a Harry Potter marathon, and they had like chocolate frogs <laughs> and pasties. It was really sweet. Uh, anyways, he's like, "Oh, I'm so sorry. I haven't listened to your podcast. I haven't yet." I'm like, "Don't listen. Like, you're going to be one of my characters." He's like, "Okay." He seemed very relieved to not have to listen. <laughs> well, he'll feel bad about it later, yeah. but but for now, it's good. And you get to talk about him and what he does in the game. Now. You know, you can maybe uh, maybe you can like. Uh, Edit, edit the uh, special edition for right. special player right. edition. The, the player only edition. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, <laughs> that seems like a lot. Meredith, of work. edit this extra thing. No. no yeah. Um, um, okay, so once you have, so you have sort of five good starter NPCs, uh, or six rather. Um, you've got, uh, you know, we're working on that through line of that first adventure, that first setup. Um, we've got some motivations. We're looking for players. Um, you know, I think that there's another sort of important factor, uh, which we'll talk more about next week, um, which has to do with how do you, how do you fill that world with like danger and excitement? Um, and one of the best ways to do that is, is with monsters. Oh yeah. And one of the best monsters is this week's, Monster of the week. week. That was so good. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Ah. What's that thing? Let's have a peek. Monster of the week. I think it's Alexei. Uh, You have the Baylor. Oh, this is such a good. I'm. I I feel. uh, I feel excited to be able to bring the Baylor to you. Mm -hmm. Uh, So. In in the um, in the like annals of D and D monsters, the Baylor is definitely one of those kind of like it's a boss monster, right? Mm-hmm. It has a challenge rating of nineteen, which Ooh. means that it is it is a legit threat for four to five level nineteen player characters Mm -hmm. i don't even know what challenge rating is and i'm like whoa 19 that's a lot we're gonna talk a lot more about challenge rating next week when we talk about monsters in like more detail but yeah no 19 i mean player level caps at 20 20 so it's like this is the dude who you're you're maybe not at the top of your power curve but you're real close and this is the guy who shows up and is like i'm gonna make your day very bad this is the kind of monster you're definitely running into at the at the end of your adventuring career this is the culmination yeah this is what makes you retire yeah yeah you kill a baylor and you're like we're good we're good that's it except now of course there's some demon lord out there that's like oh you killed my baylor and i'm gonna get you right so from a stats perspective baylor are super tough to kill they have 250 some odd hit points they have an armor class of 19 they're super hard to hit do you want um, to describe what they look like? Yeah, they're um I mean they kind of look like standard demons. They're they're uh red kind of like muscular humanoids with with terrible faces and giant bat wings. Their face um, is so terrible. How big are they? Does anyone remember how big the, how like 20 tall feet tall or anything? Yeah. They they're towering. Yeah. Yeah, they're huge. Uh what's their size? They should have a size on here, right? So is this the one that's basically the unbranded Balrog? Yes. This is yes. the non-brand name. Right. Though it's right. not made of shadow and fire. It's an actual flesh creature. Okay. But yeah. I mean, it's, but it's, it's basically that. Yeah, it's basically that. Uh, it has a like long sword. Uh, it has a, a whip. Oh, it, re- it has reach of 30 feet. 
it's it's really it is built to mess you up. So the reach of thirty feet seems like it would be significant since a lot of um, a lot of spells only also have a reach of thirty feet, right? So like in order to get close enough, you better have some other really long distance. Well, it's it's you know it, it basically means that that uh, your average fighter has to cross 30 feet of yeah. ground before they, they can actually uh, connect and the the, ba- the, the is going to be hitting them uh, before they cross that. If it if it does critical damage, it rolls triple damage instead of double damage. Yeah, it's just like it's just like no fun. Oh, it is huge. I figured out I finally figured out where to find its size. So so it's like huge is medium large it's the next size category up from yeah. large right so like it's like three, 20 feet 25 tw- yeah, feet 20 to 25 feet tall yeah. this thing is a this thing is a monster i mean it's it's a literal like hell beast and if one shows up it is just going to give you a super 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 bad day it teleports uh it hits multiple times if you're close to it it does damage to you automatically cuz it's basically on fire all the time wow and as an extra special fuck you to everybody, the Baylor has like one worst trick, which is that if you kill one, it explodes. <laughs> yep. It explodes. It You take uh, 20 D6 points of damage. What? Yeah, 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 yeah dude. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. You have to kill the Baylor before you get down to like a fifth of your hit points. You have to kill it in that first... 50% of your hit points. Have any of you uh, ever actually been in a game where you managed to kill one of these things? I've never I, even fought. I don't think I've I don't think I've ever fought a uh, I, I, maybe when I was like, you 12. know, that, that first year yeah. when I was 12 and we were yeah. like just like, oh, okay, uh let's pick monster out of the book to kill. Okay, Baylor, let's go, you know. Right. And so uh, it's it's like, kids. this might be one of those monsters that kind of like dragons where people don't actually put them in their campaigns too often because they're so not cliche, but like this is what a demon looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think you're kind of right. Is that like we don't actually see them a lot. One because not a lot of people run like super heavy planner games, mm-hmm. you know. Because this is the thing that comes after you if you are on the tail of a demon lord. Like if you've decided to go after like one of the big named bad guys in the Dungeons and Dragons universe. Uh, this is the guy that 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 guy is like. Hey, I have these dudes, and they're bothering me. Kill yeah. them because you're only gonna find them. You know, you're only gonna encounter them typically on their home plane, right. or you're gonna, or they're gonna be gated onto the prime material plane, which means great. Now I got to deal with whatever badass evil wizard created that gate, or um. There is a rift, and oh, great! Now I can deal with the fact that there's a you know the abyss is now invading the prime material plane. That's no great. I love to play like a really, really stereotypical Dungeons and <sighs> Dragons and Baylor game. <laughs> yeah, it, the the only problem is they're so high level that unless you're playing that ultra high level game, they're just yeah. like an instantaneous TPK, and they're never alone. Oh yeah. Oh, they can also summon other demons. So whenever you encounter a Baylor, he's got he's, he's got, got like a millions. score of other yeah. demons along it's, with him. Yeah, it's just really I mean, no like, fun. As a campaign, like I would love to play like a really. Oh no, that's like campaign. that's the awesome like you build campaigns this, around this campaign that. for like three years. I've got I've got a nineteenth level paladin. We're we're taking the fight to the demon lord and you know prime villain, arch villain of this campaign, and it, you know we're fighting mm-hmm. Baylors and mm-hmm. scores right. of demons. And in fact, it's, like, it's I th- awesome. I think in oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, does he like 
transform or turn into some other thing like dragons do? Or? No. Okay. no. Does he need to? No. Do you want more from the bait? No, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I think that I remember in the original AD&D player's handbook, there's a picture of the paladin fighting one of these, if I recall. That's a paladin right. in hell is the... Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. The thing about the Baylor, again, is like a little bit like the, the dragons that we were talking about. They're supposed to be super high up in the hierarchy of the abyss, right? The the kind of like one of the two main sort of evil extra dimensional dimensions. These guys are the they're the highly placed. They're like the lieutenants of they're like Satan's right hand dude, right? That's that's kind of what we're getting at. Like the they're they're the they're the they're the trusted enforcers of the demon lords. Mm-hmm. But like often if they do ever show up in a game, they're basically just like a giant red demon. You have to kill it. And mm-hmm. I think it's important and worthwhile to think about like name. If you're going to bring a Baylor into your game, name the Baylor. Uh-huh. Right? Okay. What is the name of this? This is a this is an ancient evil that has been scouring the multiverse for thousands of years. It has a name. It has a history. It can't just be like dude with giant crackling longsword and huge whip who what want to kill you. Yeah. Right. Like like. As a GM, this is a it showstopper monster. It needs to like give it give it some flavor. Okay, uh, Josh, would you like to spin the wheel of monsters for It'll next decide time? Our yeah, I'd love to. Um, okay, that basically means I just pull up a game. <laughs> it's a not. It's kind of an anticlimactic. <laughs> it's how the sausage is made. When we say spin the wheel of monsters, we mean don't do anything. Got it. <laughs> Warning: wheel is entirely fictional. monster of the week for next week is the ogre zombie nice, nice. mashup you got some ogre in my zombie you got some zombie in my ogre it's two great monsters that monster great together <laughs> <laughs> on this week's episode of carpe diem our special guest is my longtime dear friend josh archer the president and founder of the game academy thank you very much Josh, can you tell us about the Game Academy? I would love to tell you about the Game Academy. It's a nonprofit, an educational nonprofit. We started at the beginning of 2016, and we are using role-playing games as an educational device to teach kids uh, about being better people, about having better access to identity, and to being creatives. Mm. There's a lot that goes on as... Many of us probably know. I know I have a history that goes back to the second grade and playing Dungeons and Dragons. Uh-huh. And uh, it opened up worlds for me mm-hmm. and made me to a great degree who I am today. And I'm trying to pass that on to the next generation. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I owe a lot of who I am, a lot of the major aspects of my life. Yeah. Strangely enough, stem from my my love and interest in participation in tabletop role playing. Yeah, I wish I had gotten had the ability to get into RPG and um, Dungeons and Dragons and anything like mm-hmm. that when I was younger. I think mm-hmm. that you know I had this sort of bottled up uh, desire to create. Right, right. Many kids do, actually. I mean, I think we start off as being really good role players. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you look at kids that are uh, Mm -hmm. four, five years old, they're Mm -hmm. doing this naturally. And it's somewhere around seven or eight that we get told, no, calm down. Mm -hmm. 
do your homework. You, you can imagine on your own time. And then mm -hmm. that becomes mm -hmm. don't imagine. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. It is bullshit. And I'm trying to stop that from happening by mm -hmm. saying, no, imagining is great and yeah. you can be constructive with it and yeah. you can do really interesting things and yeah. find out about yourself so at the same you, time. Where do you Kids come from? What sort of backgrounds? How do they find out about the camp? Right. So we run a summer camp during the summertime that we advertise. Uh, we do one in the North Bay and we've done one in Berkeley this mm -hmm. last year for a couple of weeks. We're going to hopefully expand into the city and the peninsula as we move forward. Mm -hmm. um, but we also have a year-round program. And the year-round program we host during the day, we have homeschool kids that would come in and mm -hmm. use oh this God. as a way yeah. to engage. Mm -hmm. um, or after-school kids who are in uh, a regular type of school environment. Uh, mm -hmm. They will come after school and they meet weekly with a group of four other kids. A table of five is about perfect. Mm -hmm. And we have a game master that you know, runs them through games and, and exposes them to all sorts of concepts from, you know, nonverbal communication and being mm -hmm. able to share space at a, at a gaming table mm -hmm. is uh, finding the specialness in yourself and the specialness in the other party members working yeah. collaboratively. Uh -huh. There's so much that happens just automatically. You don't have to teach Anything. Yeah. You just have yeah, to yeah. give an environment where kids can explore. Exactly. Uh, provide the materials is my. Right. Yeah. I mean, mindset. I know that for me, you know, my experience with role playing games in high school was very much like that was my socialization. I, I went into high school super shy, super kind of terrified yep. of other people and found a group of. You know, people of kids who'd been playing D and D and junior high together, and basically mm -hmm. like like begged them to take me uh -huh, on, and right. they finally did. And you know, that ended up being a really powerfully positive experience for me. So yeah, it was a uh, it was the community that accepted me ultimately. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I wasn't necessarily very close to my peers in in any year of school that I was mm -hmm. in, and so a lot of my friends wound up being this very close-knit but wide-ranging group mm -hmm. of people mm -hmm. who were from other schools right. and, and mm -hmm. a yeah. lot of adults. And, and so, yeah, I'm building these community pods where yeah. kids who may have social problems or may have, you know, they could be on the spectrum with autism, they mm -hmm. could be ADD, ADHD. I've got them all in my program, and uh -huh. we just normalize all of that, and mm -hmm. everybody's just open, and it's a trust circle. So yeah. you can be awkward and nerdy and try stuff on and yeah. try to do role play and fail at it, and yeah. it's okay. Yeah. And there's no stakes. Yeah. So the kids are all pretty accepting of each other? Yeah, awesome. yeah. And we train that too. And, mm -hmm. and our, our educators slash game masters watch for those situations and we help to create those types of, you know, we do mediation. We do, you know, mm -hmm. if kids are, you know, awkward around other kids or if other kids are kind of being, you know, mm -hmm. maybe less than accepting, we, mm -hmm. we open that up. So and the, we have. So the game masters are also the kids? Eventually that happens. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We start with the kids being players and then we train them to be game masters of their own awesome. games and we teach them also to do game design. And mm -hmm. eventually they can set themselves up for creative artistic careers. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, just out of curiosity, like what's, do, do you have like a, a pretty good gender ratio or? We're working on that. <laughs> um, we're not a hundred percent male. We do have girls in the program. Um, and we're really trying to, I mean, this year we had four girls at once and in one of our camp weeks and mm -hmm. it was amazing mm -hmm. and we put them all at the same table and it kind of flopped. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, we realized afterwards like, oh, 
we need to normalize this like everything else right. yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and not yeah. draw attention to it, right. but make it like just more acceptable. Yeah, yeah. they're not girl gamers, they're right. just gamers. Yeah. yeah, and you know, it's because, you know, my wife decided she would role play, she would do the game mastering for one of the tables. Mm-hmm. So we thought, oh, okay, you know, build a little community, right? right? Yeah. Great intentions. Where, they, where they're going to feel comfortable, yeah. But, but sure. it, yeah. it actually kind of backfired where I think uh, they would have been happier if they were just at a normal table with not that happening yeah, yeah. it's not a big deal yeah right um and what what age groups did you say we're working with kids from the ages around eight years old to 17 18 years oh, old mm-hmm. but we're working also on a program for kids like five to eight where as i said kids do pretty good role play during mm-hmm. that I, mm-hmm. and my intention is not to sort of step in and try to do the adult thing and make them do the way that i want right, but yeah. we can certainly facilitate with like here's a bunch of costumes yeah, and yeah. here's here's a bunch of silly hats and mm-hmm. and we can just let's play with the concepts of mechanics and it's like okay we've got a die over here and we've got like sticks over here like what randomizer do you want to play with today mm-hmm. we'll use this well what rules should we make up and you get the mm-hmm. kids invested mm-hmm. and, and then they're using it and then they build scaffolding on their own you yeah. know because kids that are in that five to eight range they're brilliant and you just yeah. have to watch them so you're using Dungeons and Dragons are you making up your own systems we're using all sorts of systems I mean one of the things that I think is important for a well-rounded game player Mm role-playing game player is to understand the differences in systems and how those change the way you play Mm -hmm. I mean the classic example is Dungeons and Dragons versus Call of Cthulhu you walk into a dark room there's a spotlight on this old grimoire (laughs) and it's got gold and it's dripping with who knows what kind of icor you walk in D&D's like oh that's treasure let's go grab that but if you walk in actually you don't walk in yeah, with you, call call you just leave right back out again get out of that room yeah. Yeah. go home so, have a cup of tea multiple systems <laughs> try desperately to forget your different nightmares. reward systems we're using dungeons and dragons pathfinder we're using um the cypher system by mm. monty cook games uh-huh. fate mm-hmm. fate accelerated uh, we'll try just I, I did a game of the new paranoia that mm-hmm. just got re-released oh, yeah, with a number of kids oh with cards it's a oh, it's a fun man, game and the like kids paranoia uh, Paranoia is a game that was first published in the late 80s, I yeah. want to say. Um, it's, it, it is almost a parody of a role-playing game because it takes a lot of the, um, of the like old standby tropes of role-playing and kind of turns them on their ear. The game master wants to kill you. Yeah, the... the <laughs> In Paranoia, in a lot of games, there there can be an adversarial relationship between players and the GM. In Paranoia, there is an explicitly adversarial relationship between the players and the GM. Uh, the players play clones in a alpha complex, which is sort of like this like futuristic underground dystopia that is run by an AI, the computer, um, which has long since gone mad. And the players are tasked with usually simple chores, which quickly turn into like nightmarish sort of either Kafkaesque bureaucracy or like (laughs) spycraft or just like, you know, the 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 thing that you thought would be so simple turns out to be incredibly complicated and terrible. Um, it's where, called paranoia. Where death is so common. Player, the player characters actually have extra lives. lives. Yeah. So when you when your character dies, a new clone is decanted, and you like trundle back to the party. You're like, "Bye, guys, I'm back." <laughs> so 
So Josh, is there a website where people can find out more about the Game Academy? Absolutely. You can go to www.thegameacademy.org. You can also find us on Facebook. Uh, you just search for the Game Academy. You'll okay. find us there. Um, we have actually a lot of pictures from our most recent camp. That's mm-hmm. uh, you can see kind of the stuff that cool. we do in our program. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of fun. Um, we're also on Twitter, and uh, you can find all the links on the website. And do you have any tips for me as a as a burgeoning DM? Oh yeah. Mm, interesting. Well, I mean, I have listened through the first three episodes so far, so I, I think that you've got a really good team working with you. And I think one of the can. things that's beautiful in listening to your transformation into a dungeon master is that um, you did not come up in the ranks. So you have a freshness to your approach, like your NPCs tonight, all brilliant. Yeah. No yeah. tropes there that like, you know, if I had to dig my, the first things that come in my head are like, you know, like a wizard with a staff, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause it's just, you use it so much. Yeah. Um, but it's all about the twist and, and just keep with that energy. I'd say, keep with that freshness of, of perspective. And if it doesn't seem right to you, then it's not right. It feels warm and fuzzy right now. Good. Thank you so much for uh, joining us this week. I'm really happy. To yeah, thank you. And I'm really uh, happy that you're doing something to bring kids into learning how to be a part of these games and run them and you know, yeah. use their imagination. It's like, yeah. something I really wish I'd had when I was a kid. This has been our fifth episode of Carpe Diem. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, thank you, Josh, Alexei, and Chris. I'm really, I'm really happy to thank be you. here every other week with you guys. Absolutely. Our music is by Dr. Popular. You can find him at docpop.org and by Aaron Shea at aaronjshea.net. Thank you so much to them for making such wonderful music for our show. Thank you. Uh, You can find us, if you somehow haven't already, on iTunes and Podbean and uh, pretty much every Stitcher, pretty much every podcast. As Carpe DM DM, colon Make Your Game. Um, You can also tweet at us online at CPDMcast. Um, Please tweet at us. Tell us us what we what we missed what we messed up on your your crazy dm adventures your crazy dm adventures uh battle stories yes war stories definitely funny npcs you can also find us on reddit as carpe dm ooh ooh write in with your favorite monsters if if you have a favorite monster that you've seen in or your monster life, story, or yeah. monster story, right yeah. in with that just yeah say just, hi. just say hi, hi. <laughs> uh, or character death from a monster um thank you so much this is been a great episode and we'll see you in two weeks see you in two weeks see ya